called TAD to remodel my place. Said I wanted it to be that kind of place. Knee deep in the reno, sinking in our fights. Other shonky builders waking me up at night. And Adam plays the boss man. He listens to the customer. Don't you remember? He built this kitchen. He built this kitchen with TAD. We built this kitchen. We built this kitchen with TAD. We built this kitchen. We built this kitchen with TAD. I'm Ilana Rasbash, and this is Radio Architecture. Good evening from beautiful Bunurong country. And welcome back for another evening of Radio Architecture with Ilana Rasbash. Tonight rounds off the first month of my conversations live on Radio Karam. Time absolutely flies when you're having fun, and in the last month, we've covered a number of really broad yet foundational topics. Thank you so much for joining me along on this ride, and in particular to my regular listeners who have tuned in again tonight for the live show. Discussions on public space continue this evening with two guests who are joining me live in the studio, both of whom are very experienced speakers, presenters and facilitators. Kel Glaister is a PhD candidate in design at RMIT University with a focus on parkour vision and playable urban spaces. Kel has been coaching parkour in Australia and internationally for the last decade. She has been involved in national level governance as a committee member and Victorian representative on the Australian Parkour Association and the Chair of Roots of Movement Scotland, and is a current ambassador for Parkour Earth. Kel has worked for many years to help dismantle gender bias and improve diversity in parkour, with several community organisations, including Women of Melbourne Parkour and Glasgow Parkour Girls, and through organising gender minority-focused events. She is a founding director of Melbourne in Motion, a parkour and movement coaching organisation with a focus on access, diversity and justice. Kel is a founding member of Queer Parkour, an international organisation for LGBTQIA plus parkour practitioners. Kel has a Master's of Fine Arts from the Glasgow School of Art and has exhibited as an artist and a curator internationally. She has undertaken several artists and residencies around the world, including at the Gertrude Contemporary in Melbourne, the ACC Weimar and the Cytentinale des Arts Paris. Ale Pronotto is a writer and researcher with a background in anthropology. They are an active member of NAM's parkour community, which informs their thinking and artistic practice. At present, Ale is writing a narrative non-fiction book about experiences of women and trans people who do parkour, which explores the intersection of public space, movement, play and gender. 
LA also works part-time at String Theory, a small organization that does participatory evaluation and research for community programs. Ale was also instrumental in implementing the, the Victorian parkour map. Welcome and thank you so much to you both for being on the show tonight. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks, Alana. So excited to chat. Um, you're probably by now a month in, everyone's ready for the first question, but I'll throw it to you first, Ale. What is your earliest memory of a building or place? So um, it would have to be my the first house that I grew up in, in Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, it was a, a brick, a rendered brick white house and I remember playing in the garden um, but the that kind of behind some rocks and ferns but um, up against this quite high brick wall with um, barbed wire electric fence on top. Um, so I like, remember the space inside the garden surrounded by this wall um, and I, I also remember the contrast um, when we moved to Australia when I was about five and um, we had no fence in our front yard. We'd play in the front yard and there'd be no fence at all. We'd just go straight onto the street. Um, so, yeah, that, but, was, that was my first memory. That contrast between a gated community and Australian suburbia, is, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that would be it. Okay. I'm sure that was a really different experience of the relationships we have with the public realm and the, the sense of what's allowed, what's not allowed, who's welcome, who's not welcome. Yeah, for sure. Those experiences. How about you, Kel? What's your earliest memory of a building or place? Um, mine is, uh, we discussed this before, also about a fence, um, but I have to preface this story by saying no children were harmed. Um, but <laughs> my earliest memory, I think, is when I was in kindergarten uh, it's of the fence between the kindergarten I went to, which was across the road from a creche. Um, and I remember talking with my friend Twee at playtime. In kindergarten, we didn't know what a creche was. Somehow we together decided that a creche meant a kindergarten but for rich kids. And so the creche was exactly the same, but they had better toys and better play equipment. So then I remember we decided to stage like a kindergarten class war by picking up sticks and bits of tambark and throwing them over the fence <laughs> at the crash. Um, but it was over a road, so we didn't hit them. We didn't get anywhere near them. The worst that happened was maybe some passers-by got hit by tambark. Um, so, yeah, my memory is of a fence. <laughs> also <laughs> seeking to <laughs> claim back... Space, <laughs> wanting to challenge space, challenging fences and boundaries. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you seem to be climbing fences ever since, <laughs> yes, really yes. Since, that, since that moment. <laughs> You're both parkour practitioners. Yep, that's right. And I'm sure the listeners are dying to know, mm -hmm. what is parkour? Uh, yeah, this is a question that is more difficult for parkour practitioners than it probably by rights should be. Uh, but parkour is a discipline uh, of moving through any given terrain using only your body, so sometimes formulated as um, taking the most efficient path from A to B where those two are any given points in a space. Practically that will mean moving across usually urban terrains but um, natural as well, um, using movements like jumping, vaulting, climbing, um, 
And for the radio listeners, the the most common media touchstone is the opening sequence of Casino Royale, the Bond movie. Um, so that might be familiar. But, yeah, it's, it's a movement through space uh, in the most efficient way possible and training to achieve that. Thank you. <laughs> is your definition the same, Ale, since there's so many facets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think... I would add to it maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was actually thinking about this the other day and I feel like I'm doing parkour the most when I'm moving through a space but I'm following my curiosity and, you know, if I see a curb and I want to balance along the curb, then I go and balance along the curb. Or, you know, if I want to I wanna play on a bench and I want to just see what it feels like to jump up on it or or you know, kind of do a little tiny cartwheel over over the end of it, then I'll try that. And so that's that's what parkour feels like to me, is like following that curiosity regardless of whether there's that little voice in my head that, that's saying, oh, no, don't do that. What, what will people think of that? Um, yeah, hmm. that's what I would add. A liberation and a freedom in the practice. Hmm. But that, that's really interesting that you say you follow your curiosity a couple of weeks ago with Rachel Yampolsky, we touched on the practice of the derive, derive, where you move through a city and follow your curiosity. Mm. This mm. is a playful, joyous expression, really. Mm. In how many ways do you think it's hanging on to senses of a childhood, but maybe children do naturally to play mm. and then to encourage adults and older people, as I've seen from your classes, mm. to also practice parkour? Yeah, it's a very good point because um, – Parkour as a discipline has uh, a lot of uh, communities around the world and, and links uh, to the name or the noun of parkour or art de déplacement, free running. There are other names for similar disciplines, but at essence, it is continuing what humans do and humans have always done, which is play in the space that is available to them. Um, unfortunately, there comes a point where most of us feel um, discouraged either by design or by our behaviour being impeded or being told off that playing isn't what you do anymore, playing isn't for adults. Um, And, yeah, we're doing everything we can to overcome that, Uh, to encourage people to find find ways to play in in public space in the cities that belong to them. What are some of the spatial elements, the built elements or the, the things in our physical environment that a parkour p- practitioner might look at and think, yes, that's fantastic. I want to get mm, on that. Yeah. What What are some yeah. of these things you look out for? Handrails is always good. Yay! Ale and I <laughs> arrived here early for the show, and um, we're very excited by the the handrails and some of the um, small steps at the front of the the building here. So, um, handrails, any changes in levels. Um, things that uh, that you can climb on top of or, or get over. It really depends on what you want to do and, and your level. Um, so I think you can do parkour literally anywhere. Uh, you don't need to have a, a purpose-built space. You don't need to have certain elements to do it. And, you know, if you didn't have anything at all, it, it would probably take the form of either running or um, ground-based play. So, uh, yeah, you look for things that, like Ale said, spark curiosity and that changes as you grow. Yeah. Mm. 
I don't know. What do you what what's what do you look for these days, Ali? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, we were kind of talking about it when we were we were analysing the the arrangement of the the rails and the ramp and the steps outside the 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 footy pavilion um, this evening. And yeah, I think often it, it, it's really interesting when there's um, some typical types of infrastructure that are standard like like a ray um like a handrail and a and a ramp um combined with some stairs but then arranged in in a particular distance that's not too far or and not too close so that you can um it allows for fluid movement between the different elements um and you can kind of move in different directions there's a search for an elegance there isn't it as well on on some level you're you're after a certain flow it's not just hopping and jumping yeah. around. It's yeah. a, there's an execution to it. Yeah, I suppose if yeah. you if you're looking to create a a line which is like stringing together certain movements in a fluid way, that's that's definitely what um, what you're looking for. But I suppose parkour can have so many um, manifestations. Like a lot of our parkour is just trying to find challenges, like ridiculous challenges, like can you hop along this rail on one foot while, you know? Yeah. Can you yeah. find the smallest <laughs> possible space you can pass through yeah. efficiently? Yeah. And then we all try and do that one challenge. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a group training. There's a big social community aspect. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. And that's where the best challenges come from because you are then forced to see, not forced to, but you're then... Encouraged, <laughs> supported. Have, have the opportunity to. Um uh, see the way another person takes on the same challenge, given the differences in their body, their body size, composition, um, level of uh, experience, whatnot. And so, I am tall, large person. So there's some things that uh, I, I will I will just put my hand up and I can reach. And um, then there'll be training with someone who's significantly smaller than me they have to then come up with another way to do exactly the same thing that suits their body and that will be um uh, entirely different and then obviously by the same token if we do a pass through a small space challenge i'm i'm screwed i have to like uh. so um when you're training in a group it it does really allow you to see uh that a city and the and the built environment and the way things are pitched and levelled from someone else's um, perspective, in my opinion. A more empathetic experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. More democratised experience too. Mm, 100%. There's probably been a lot of spaces where you've wanted to train and haven't been able to mm. or have been moved along from perhaps. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of those experiences with the, the right to occupy space? Um. Yeah, it's um, – there are several spaces that I can think of off the top of my head where, yeah, we're asked to leave. The general approach is um, is often to just do that. Um, I have stated my case as to why I shouldn't a couple of times. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, reticence for – you to visibly do something that seems weird on the on the on behalf of other people. So something as simple as balancing on a rail, 
suddenly becomes a threat to people, especially security guards, who um, are suddenly concerned that I will hurt myself or that um, I will, you know, cause damage or something. Um, neither of those are likely to happen in the in that case. But yeah, we're we're often asked to move on um, from places like uh, pub. Uh, sorry, universities, um, often squares that look public but turn out to not be. So there's a lot of spaces around that uh, I think purposely created to kind of muddy the waters as to how allowed To blur the boundaries between public and private a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And that can be difficult because, because, as I said, everyone should have the right and should be encouraged to play and rest and engage with public space. But if if it is not easy to tell what is actually public space, that makes things much more difficult and it, it probably leads to a lot more self-policing of behaviour uh, because, yeah, how would you know? How would you know? <laughs> so you've, you've created the Victorian parkour map almost for that, for that reason, mm-hmm. to help locate these places to help site the locations and is broad it's not just Melbourne isn't it Arlie it's quite a expansive section survey yeah well we have um Melbourne community has connections with the community in Bendigo and Geelong as well um so yeah during the lockdowns when we started the project um we were doing it all online we were contributing the community was contributing to the map um, online. We were doing Zoom sessions or people were doing it in their own time. Um, and so, yeah, we, we decided to make it a um, Victoria-wide map and, and everyone was contributing spots that, that were in their local areas, especially in Melbourne because we couldn't move out of a 5K zone for so many months. So people were taking the opportunity to explore their suburbs, which, um, yeah, I know in my case there were lots of spots that I hadn't been to because I had always gone into the CBD to train Mm -hmm. because that was the most convenient place to meet um, other people to train with. So it, it kind of compelled me to, to go and explore my own suburb. And um, yeah, I had a, had a lot of fun in dark dingy car parks where (laughs) there weren't (laughs) a lot of people around because it was COVID. (laughs) Yeah. What an amazing way to crowdsource data and also connect a community when you couldn't Mm -hmm. train together Mm -hmm. and people had to invent new ways to train and use Mm. a dining room chair as an apparatus instead. I've seen a couple of demonstration videos like that. So what are some of the fields and criteria that you applied to the map? What sort of information is in there? Because these democratised mapping projects, of which there's many, some are very famous, um, like Queering the Map or some of the work by XY, XLab. Um, there's a number of feminist mapping projects out there that really look at a city differently by virtue of who made the map and all maps carry biases. And so you, you've added these really thorough additional layers of data that transcend TripAdvisor in a way. It, it's not a. It's not a shallow. Come look at this. It's not a shallow. Do this. It's very, very thorough. So, could you tell us some more about um, what are some of the fields and inputs and um, 
How was the criteria around this project decided? Yeah, so so there were, were a group of us who were quite involved in, um, yeah, in in deciding these things, and we we came up with a few um, thought a few criteria that we thought were really important, um, which included just basic information about what was there, um, and then um, some some of the kinds of movements that were that the spot might be good for if, if you're looking to train a particular movement, a particular parkour movement, like a vault or a jump or a, um, a climbing movement. Um, but then we also wanted to include information on safety and accessibility as well. So we left that open for people to interpret how they, they needed to for whatever spot that they were, they were um, adding to the map. Um, but they were... They some of the entries included things like um, I suppose like more physical things like if there was a rail that was shaky to watch out for, but then um, also more so things that might be seen as dangerous um, from a from more social perspective. So um, you know if the if the area was really dark at at night time or there wasn't um, uh, passive visibility, for instance, if it was around a corner, but if if it was in a place that was well lit at night or it was near a pedestrian thoroughfare, then then they would put that information in so that people could make a decision about whether they wanted to train there, if they felt comfortable, and whether they would maybe rather train in the day rather than at night time. So it was safety and then also accessibility, which was also open to interpretation. But, um, yeah, people would include things like, was it um, kind of accessible, like was it flat ground or... Or was it um, were, were there bumpy surfaces, or um, also for people who had sensory overload, like was it was it a very noisy place? Was there was it very busy? Is there lots of people around? Is it very bright in in summer? Is there like white white con- concrete that might reflect sun? Um, was it very noisy around there? So yeah, these were some of the kinds of things. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you mm. remember if there are any more, Kel? It's a really empowering data set. From my perspective, mm-hmm. because few sports give people that ability to make the, their own decisions for what's right for them, what's right for their bodies, what's right for their level of risk or skill or safety they're willing to assume in the juggler consequences. I did have a look at the map and I noticed that you also have a criteria for nighttime spots, especially like a separate coloured icon. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of spots around this part of town, the Ballon Parkour Park. It's quite purpose-built. Mm-hmm. And a, a few other spots near the Frankston Arts Centre and the Frankston Library. Mm. And maybe you'll add one more after this evening's visit. Absolutely. <laughs> as yep. well to the Roy Dorf Pavilion, which is where Radio Carom Studios are located. By the way, if you want to contribute anything to our conversation tonight or ask any questions of Ali or Kel, you can text the studio on 0493213831. And we'll love to read your question out on the air. What do you think about purpose-built facilities for parkour? It's a fraught question for a lot of people. Um, On the one hand, I think there are loads of fun and Ballum Park is an example of an incredibly fun place to train and to, um, especially with children, um, to to go and explore and play. Um, On the other hand, there is potential for purpose-built parkour parks to be 
you know, perhaps as a a force for bad in in this, if we think about it as a fight for public space, um, there is maybe it can it has pardon me it's previously been compared to uh, street skating um, in that in the eighties when street skating was a lot bigger than it is now and around then I suppose it might have even been earlier whenever councils started building skate parks um, there was then somewhat of a backlash against street skaters where it was like councils or people would say why are you still skating on the street we built a park for you why don't you go to the park and that is essentially taking away public space for recreation because you've provided another resource for it or another place it's it's cauterizing that form of play to the territory that you've been you know marked out for the weirdos to go to and that's potentially problematic if that does happen to parkour because not only is is the discipline about play and curiosity and exploring what your body can do it's specifically about doing that in public space in urban space in the place that you live and if that uh so while i think that there are many fantastic built parkour parks and um would love to see more we also have to make sure that we don't turn our back on on the other front as it were if that makes makes absolutely you've got to be visible and be present Mm -hmm. um and can continue engaging with what you want to see more of Mm -hmm. that's perhaps a little bit hyperbolic, but the price of safety is eternal vigilance. <laughs> and yeah. I think also the other um, – another way that parkour parks are somewhat problematic, and again, I do love, I do love playing in them, um, but I don't think we need purpose-built parkour parks. I think what we need to do is build in the, the sort of interstices of, of every street something that we can play on and, and – essentially weave through the fabric of the entire city these opportunities for for movement and play in whatever form that might be, including parkour, rather than saying this is the place where you play, this is the place where you work, this is the place where you live, and only putting roads between those three things, you know. And ring-fencing the activities where yeah. you want them. Yeah. So that really doesn't make for a whole enjoyous life. There's mm. so much science and information coming to us now about the importance of regular incidentary movement mm. and play and joy, not limiting that to children or then policing children as well mm-hmm. for trampling along a, a balustrade. But when I think about some of this infrastructure and if we did integrate it into our cities and our urban realms a bit more, not just pretty traffic bollards, which we're seeing more and more of, um, has become an unfortunate necessity in our modern world and Mm. the city of Melbourne has made some of them look really excellent and put planters in and detailed the bluestone nicely. But that's a a parkour object. Mm. That's also a seat for someone who needs it. That's also a rest point. That's an observation point for someone short Mm -hmm. in a crowd, wants to see fireworks at a festival. And it's about perhaps seeing the multitudes of what's available to us in our urban realm mm. I think so because um, as you said uh, things that are that are uh, amenable to play or, or are playable are also fantastic for rest uh, which is another thing that we don't have enough space for in, in public space and there um, 
they're useful for meeting and they're useful for parkour but other sorts of movement in, in public space, other forms of play. And I would like to see more of, of that stuff built that is, that is uh, multi-purpose and for the future, especially because when it comes to even things like playgrounds, they tend to circumscribe what you can do in them, what children can do in them. Um, and instead, if we have things that are, that are much more open, then the people can make of it what they will. And for, for all mm. ages. Mm. Yeah. So that's a, perhaps a good moment to ask about the classes that Melbourne in Motion does, including for older people. Mm, absolutely. What's your, who's your oldest parkour practitioner? Uh, Eileen was 84 uh, when we were training together. I haven't trained with Eileen in a while, but, uh, yeah, there's no upper age limit. There's no – well, I was going to say there's no lower age limit, but there's probably a lower age where it is indistinguishable from – being a toddler. Being a toddler, so yeah. But, but yeah. 84 and incredibly strong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is, a, it is a real problem that parkour is seen as, and many, many other disciplines are seen as something that um, you're not supposed to do unless you're, you know, 14-year-old white boy. Um, and that is the furthest from the truth. That and that's what you get when be. you plug it into Google, unfortunately. Yeah. I actually typed in Ballon Parkour Park and that's what I got. Mm. 14-year-old boys, 2016 video. <laughs> the height of the internet. <laughs> but that's not it. You've got an amazing group. You've got really big regular weekly turnouts. You've got regular classes. It's, it is a fantastic way for a lot of people to come to parkour when um, maybe they are feeling a little bit uh, intimidated by its public image or by, by this idea that it is only for young people, it's only for um, people of a certain gender. Um just going out and and experimenting is a fantastic way to get into parkour, but sometimes that's that's a bridge too far. And we run classes and recommend classes also because we can give you a lot of um, safety tips and a lot of easier ways to do things. But um, being able to come to a class, especially one that is for beginners or for a particular age group, um, just makes that first step so much easier. Um, and the first step is the hardest, I think. So, yeah. Ali, you're writing a book at the moment. Mm -hmm. What What are the ba barriers that you've identified for people's participation in parkour so far? Mm. Well, the book itself doesn't focus so much on the barriers, but um, I suppose part, part of the reason why I want to write the book is because I've noticed the barriers. So, so the book is focused on experience experiences of women and gender minorities, including trans and non-binary people who do parkour. Um, and what I noticed when I started parkour is that um, when I looked at it on the internet or on Instagram or any videos about it, when I looked for written materials like books and articles, um, most of it was focused on cis men. Um, and it didn't line up with the community that I entered. And, yeah, in Melbourne there's quite a lot of diversity in terms of, of gender. Um, and, yeah, I, I noticed how much, of a, um, how much of an influence it had on my own sense of self and my own comfort in my body um, and my own confidence. And, 
and I could also start to notice that for other people around me as well. And so I thought, oh, there's something here that I think could be explored and that I think more people should know about, that that parkour is more than this stereotype that is, is so pervasive. Um, and I think that if more people knew um, the yeah what it what it can be like to do parkour and and how doing parkour has the potential to change so many aspects of your life that all interrelate because you're your body and your body does everything <laughs> you know so um yeah when I, I I kind of wanted want people to be aware of, you know there's there's more to parkour than than what it might seem if you just look at the media well I really look forward to reading your book sounds <laughs> like there'll be some interesting tales of the opportunities for liberation through parkour but I'm also always really interested in these stories of interconnection and really complicated webs Mm. of inextricable interconnection and how everything ties together and sometimes that Kel you describe weirdos but really not you know really highly educated people (laughs) with an interest in the urban realm who are brave enough to be active in public which I don't know how we got to a place in society that became radical that and resting Mm. has become radical a radical act to claim space in public Um, but to see those threads come out will be really interesting Mm. your your work is also in many ways an act of resistance and I tell you're a vehement advocate against fitness culture (laughs) and I'm I'm mindful of the meta kind of qualities here because, you know, this conversation after it's broadcast live will be podcasted out and people will listen to it not in podcast and then maybe I'll make a reel or something. And then that might come up in someone's feed right after a muscly man yelling at his mother as she does deadlifts. <laughs> I've seen that one, yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> one was pretty popular recently. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's a different world, so I hope these your different voices come through. But say something about fitness culture for us yeah it's uh yeah it is all pervasive especially um in instagram and i think there is especially as a parkour practitioner as it's a discipline it's a sport some people call it either or both and it is actually there's a lot of history of it being about building strength building um stamina and so it feeds into some of those stereotypes about about um, fitness and strength being tied to worth. Um, and, but at the core of it, I believe that it is about joy and curiosity and it is about um, exploration. And any, any fitness, any gains, in my opinion, flow out from that. And if you change the way that you look at it to be based in, in that, core of of you know not to be cheesy love it it does change your own relationship with your body um whereas if you look at a lot of fitness culture it is instead based in productivity and capitalism and um punishing of your own body uh which in my opinion doesn't lead to a healthy relationship with with uh with your body, you know, um, and it is difficult because a lot of what we do is about strength and conditioning. You want to become strong and you want to gain, um, a good level of conditioning in your body, both to protect yourself from, 
uh, injuries, overuse, but also to just make certain movements easier. So having a level of consistency in your training and having a good level of functional movement is is amazingly important for both uh, parkour training and for, you know, just having a, a easier life, having having a life that's more filled with joy. But like the focus on I know either either aesthetics or productivity, I think in some ways is counter to what we we do. Mm. I think. Yeah, and I think there are also ways that you can make um, kind of strength training for parkour fun because often you're doing strength training out in a public space and there are obstacles around and then you can you can be creative about okay, so I want to increase my leg strength and you know I've got I've got a few steps of different levels. What can I do here that will increase that? Well, I, maybe I can do some jumps or I can do a, a side sideways squat combined with another movement and then I might go off and do like play for a little bit and then come back and do some push-ups or you know so it it, you can you can build fun and play into that consistency as as well and Mm -hmm. I think I find that that's what keeps me coming back because I want to do it (laughs) it's not like oh I'm going to go back to the gym to do my routine that I've been handed by someone and just just follow along and do that routine like Mm. there's there's some there's some creativity that you can bring to it as well. Love that. Yeah, Yeah, I think there's also, given that that parkour is is a very broad uh, movement discipline, it involves a a large range of skills, I think there's also just about everybody will have something that they're really good at and just about everybody will have something that, you know, they suck at and that makes them feel a bit like, oh, no. Um, and that doesn't map on to uh, body types or, you know, um, how tall, short, buff, fat, whatever you are, that everybody has uh, has value in the way that it, it they move through the world. Um, and... You, you'll feel that in a in a good jam with with a good community that everybody ha- has uh, a respect for every other literal body in the space and what it can and can't can and can't do or what it uh, what that body is good at um, and so it's much less like in other sports you'll see every powerlifter is built like a fridge and every diver is built like a like a beanpole yep <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot more body diversity um, in parkour, both because it hasn't become, um, uh, what's the word, um, professionalised in the same way here as other sports, but also because every every body type has value in in the discipline. And sometimes there's group challenges yep. that, I've, that I've seen that you need people to come together. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to do alone. You you can't do the complicated stacks and climbs and lifts. Much like a, one of the styles of rock climbing that's popularised in the Czech Republic, where you build up towers and stand on top of each other in order to place the first piece of gear. Amazing! <laughs> it's all teamwork, but it's a really interesting way to experience a city, to map a city, to move through a place and look at it through a lens you might not have considered. Mm. Sometimes people need to know that there is a sport out there and it has a name and there's mm-hmm. a group that has enough of a license for people to show up and try it. Yeah. What has been some of your best memories of parkour in, in the city or your local environment? Oh, 
that's a big one. Mm. I mean, I do have a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's a little uh, left of left of centre, but I I do have some fond memories of uh, COVID because we were doing a lot of stuff in our lounge rooms over Zoom in a really really dark time in which I didn't want to leave my bed I was I was playing the first Zelda game and basically that was all I wanted to do but I knew that we had sessions where we'd all get on zoom in our lounge room and figure out ways to make a parkour challenge um I mean you know you were there um or figure out ways to make time for us to all to get together but also to move and um it was a lifesaver to some extent uh so it's weird to answer that question with my lounge room but I just did so there that's yeah. a really beautiful ode to domesticity <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I think it's, it was a very hard time and very very difficult and varied memories for people but mm. I think many also found beauty mm. and a chance to slow down mm. in a rare moment and we can hold those dualities absolutely because that's that's life we can hold the the difficult and the joyous discoveries at the same time how about you Ali Mm, I'm finding it really hard to pick one, um, but I think I would just go broad brush and and talk about my training sessions with women of Melbourne Parkour, which is not restricted just to to women. Basically, anyone is welcome of any gender, um, and yeah, just the sense of joy and excitement and togetherness that you can get from playing in a group. And especially once once everyone's kind of warmed up and they found challenges and and we're all bouncing ideas off each other and then um, yeah like encouraging your friends through a, through a challenge and then seeing them get it and then you know that inspires you to try it when you you wouldn't even have thought to try it before and then and then you get it too and it's just that sense of like elation like you're you're building each other up. Um, I think that's that's been really special and and I was also reflecting on how that has also been kind of changing my mental and emotional map of the city because I've had all these very joyful memories in public spaces with with other people um, and it, that it makes me it makes me feel more more at home in public spaces because I have those memories. That, and associations that when I walk through a space, like I feel like, ah, oh, you know, I I have positive emotions to draw on in connection to this space. Mm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mental and emotional map. I love that. Say more. Mm. <laughs> mm. Well, I think I think we have um, a sense of a city based on we we kind of imagine a city based on our, how we move through it and and we can connect we create this imagination um, based kind of by collaging these memories of, of moving through different spaces and the different experiences you have in those spaces um, and I know personally that through yeah through different times of my life I've had, more fearful associate associations of of public space um 
uh, like especially uh, there were a few years back um, that um, there was someone who was murdered in in Brunswick and I remember like being in and around Brunswick was was um, quite stress inducing around around that time. It was very unsettling. Yeah, it's still unsettling for many. Yeah, Um, and so yeah, just having that knowledge of that violence is a possibility in in public spaces um yeah it even though I haven't like directly experienced violence but I've I've had microaggressions like catcalling and that kind of thing and that kind of reminds you that that is a possibility and so um so I suppose having these experiences with women of Melbourne Parkour it's it's almost like counterbalancing that um and and weighting it more towards those those um, more positive memories of, of public space, um, that rather than re- retreating away from public spaces because of that fear and withdrawing and withdrawing, um, that's that, what I've found anyway. You know, it's different for everyone. That's really wonderful. Mm. It's a testament to the restorative powers of mm. community and coming together and mm. claiming space. A level of critical mass, like some of your sessions are not small. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's it is a really fantastic uh, way, especially for people who do feel uh, less able to to take up public space because of the um, the ever present threat of violence. It we can we can find ways around it, and one of them is is critical mass. Um, we can find ways to uh, win back what's been taken. Yeah, mm. it's a bit, advocacy is a really big part of your work. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess in many ways, I suspect it's a mixture of necessity and your st- strong moral compass <laughs> that um, started it, start, started the passion and the, and the fight for it. Um, but more specifically, how does that intersect with parkour and um, some of the strategies and policies you have in place and have been fighting for as well? Yeah, it's been a hard road to, in some ways because uh, one of the things we'd like to move towards is uh, talking with councils and advocating to councils and people who do build public space that it should be playable. Um, but... I've been um, trying to poke councils about it for a long time and I think for a long time they were afraid of the word parkour. So um, uh, you come up with ways to avoid that word if it if it um, isn't getting you where you want. But I think a tide has turned and that a lot of councils and a lot of people have more awareness of, um, of parkour and are more willing to uh, build the spaces like Balham, which is a double-edged sword, as we discussed. Um, but, yeah, we, we've always always trying to get involved with uh, any any play spaces, any councils that we can, we can um, annoy with our requests for things to climb on. And art projects and yeah. workshops, you've done a number of them. So if anyone looks around the calendars of town, I'm sure there'll be many more in the future as there, there has been in the past. So keep your eyes peeled for Absolutely. anything yeah. coming Send along us from, an email. Yeah. <laughs> from Melbourne in motion as well. Um, 
So for people who have we've piqued their interest tonight, perhaps mm-hmm. they're keen to give it a go. What would you advise? Uh, well, if you can come along to one of our classes on a Saturday, they are in the CBD, so it's a bit of a um, a bit of a hike. But yeah, you can go to our website and um, book in a class, or you can always just send us an email through there with your questions about about parkour and how to get started. Um, and what's the contact email just for the listeners? Uh, hello at melbinmotion.com. So M E L B I N M O T I O N. Um, uh, so yeah, we're always happy to, to answer any questions that you may have and, and, uh, that's, that's a great way to start. You can also go on to any social media and look for local groups. Uh, like there's a Facebook group called Melbourne Parkour. So that's another great way to find people in your local area. Um, vet them first, obviously, but you can, you can look for community and look for, uh, jams, which is where everyone comes together and, and all plays in the same space. So jams can be a, a fantastic uh, – jams are a fantastic way to train parkour because everyone is uh, building this sense of community, working together. What's a jam for the listeners? Yeah, um, they can be a little bit intimidating because it's not a class uh, structure. It is everyone turns up and does basically what they want to. So um, you might have a group of people working on some jumps. You might have some people doing – climbing over there and if you don't know anyone and you just turn up and you don't know much about parkour it can be quite intimidating because you're like I'm gonna what do I do now so um a jam is an informal training session without a structure um some some of them do have some structures but for some people a class may be a a more welcoming first step depending wonderful give it a go get involved yeah Try it out. At the very least, do it as a weekend activity to see your city in a different way. (laughs) Step off the tourist bus. (laughs) And Ale, what advice would you have for someone who might be a little bit nervous setting off into into parkour and the parkour community? Yeah, I think what I would keep in mind is that there there are, just as there are progressions for every movement, like there are ways to make everything harder there's also regressions, so there's always ways to make something easier. So if you can't do a jump that's one metre long, you can practice it that in 50 centimetres, you know, or you can, if you can't do a vault over a rail, um, you can kind of just place one leg on it and then swing the other leg over it because even if it feels like you're not doing the movement right, um, you're still getting your body used to the pattern of movement and and I found that the more I do that and the more confident and comfortable I get with that pattern it starts to come over time um and also to not worry about whether you're strong enough because that's something I hear from people who who want to want to start but they feel like they're not strong enough the the thing is that you get strong through doing the movements because Sometimes they are quite specific movements and you might not have trained those muscles before. Um, but but the main thing is to start and and usually when you start you have a good time so you come back and then and then you get stronger. So so it's it's all about building slowly, slowly and and just being patient. Yeah. That's really fun. good universal advice. And mm-hmm. have fun. Mm-hmm. That's very good universal advice for 
ending your beginning, ending your endeavour, ending your project. Mm. There's lessons that you've very obviously taken from parkour and disseminated through a whole experience in life. And I see that in both of you because you're such curious people. You're interested in so many different disciplines in writing and art practice. Kelly, you're about to start a PhD, so we wish you all the very best <laughs> of the PhD ahead and the book ahead as well. <laughs> I'm resisting asking when we can expect it. I don't no, want to no, put no. any pressure <laughs> on you, so we look <laughs> we look forward to um, following you along on social media and, and seeing when that book will be announced and what, what's next on the horizon. So I guess a final question is, well, what gives you hope? Mm. Oh, jeez push me off a cliff with the last question why don't you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I think it is and this has been the theme of the whole thing but it is coming together with people um that when I am at my most hopeless it's it's generally when I'm alone and then when I turn up to something like this to something like a uh, park or jam um and see the uh, the joy in community, or just hang out with people. That that is what pulls me out of the pit. I think it's very true. Very yeah, true. I would also say the community, but with a slightly different angle. I think um, from what I've seen in the parkour community, there's a lot of care for for other people. Um, you know, not only in parkour training um, where people are encouraging other other people to, to do their challenges and teaching what they know and learning from other people, um, but but also outside of parkour. Like, yeah, there's been so many times where I've, I've seen other people helping other people in the communi- community. Um, and so often when you, when you travel, like recently I went to Colombia and I, I spent time with the parkour community there and... People were so so generous and so welcoming, and 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 I've heard that is that it's like that in so many parts of the world. The parkour community is is very generous and and welcoming in in general. And how, so, how did you find them? How did you connect with the Colombian parkour practitioners? Well, someone who I was interviewing was was Colombian, uh-huh. and she she um, connected me with with. Um, people in Bogota and, and in Cali as well. So, yeah. Fantastic. Will we read about it in your book? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your work, for your classes, for your advocacy, for your uh, different readings of a city and different ways to experience it because it can be, for some people, the first gateway into movement and sport and for others it can be a first gateway into caring about the public realm and caring about cities and perhaps even walkability because all these things are interconnected. You know, if you're able to walk around a city and play in a city and be safe in a city and release some of that stress, then these are all things that we collectively hope for, for a better public realm. So thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you to everyone who's been listening for the the last month that – and everyone who supported the show so far, we look forward to bringing many more weekly episodes to come and continuing conversations on very wonderful and weird and varied interconnections in the world 
of architecture because architecture is all about ideas and architecture really is everywhere. Good night. Thanks for joining me for another evening of Radio Architecture with Alana Rasbash. This live show was broadcast and recorded in the Radio Karim studio on Bonnarong Country. You can replay this show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting Community Radio. Take care. Hello, my name is Dave Graney. I am an underworld musician of many years standing. I'm here to ask you to tune in to my fellow traveller, my comrade, Radio Radio Karam. Karam.